My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. Hi, it's Paul here. I really hope you're enjoying the show and I'm going to ask you a favour if you are. Please do follow us. If you do, you'll get to hear all of the episodes first and of course it helps with my self-esteem. I'm only joking. Don't forget to rate us. We're currently on 4.9 stars, which is really exciting and every rating makes my mum, Teresa, laugh just a little bit more. I mean, I had a similar experience to you where my mum, I'm half Spanish, so my mum's like to some people brown and then she has a ginger kid in the pram, you know. So, and they and the assumption was that she was the nanny, right? Always. Oh, really? So, because my my brother is quite dark. He's got jet black hair, dark skin, wow. that kind of stuff. Did you feel that difference as a kid as well between you and your brother? Yeah, because I was. If you look at some photos, it's like we're two different right. families. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I'm like white with like. I mean, you can see I'm pretty white now with yeah. like bright ginger hair at the time, yeah. and he's like dark skin with black hair. Really, and so you're kind of looking at two different kids, and you're yeah. just like, "Well, this is bizarre." But again, you don't realize that until later when it's like this is different. Yeah. So I guess my point with it sounds like what you're saying is like that exposure to difference very early mm. kind of knocks that learning curve into a much faster, yeah, you know, place. Hundred so, percent. And I think, um, and it's funny because like I guess the conservative doctrine is more like. We don't want to expose that to people until later. So that's a really, yeah, that's a really good point. I guess I'm just trying to play devil's advocate in the sense that, like, do you think there's any benefit to delaying that process in your experience? Good question. Um, Not that I necessarily think that. To some extent. So some of the stuff we were talking about before when my mum was quite explicit with us Mm. as kids that she was the survivor of family sexual abuse. Like, that is, it doesn't even compute as a kid. I'm going to make an estimate because I don't know, but let's say I was, like, nine when i first yeah yeah that sort of stuff doesn't quite compute because of course thank god you don't have a reference point for it but also those words don't really have full meaning even a kind of in a social context as well but i think it's more the feeling that someone did something bad to our mum and our mum is supposed to be, I think as kids, you kind of want your parents to be invincible. That I think that, I do believe that's true, not necessarily in a kind of superhuman way, but you want them to be invincible because you want them to protect you and give you care. Mm. So the idea that somebody did something bad to our mum and that affected how she could protect us and how she could give us care sat with me a lot mm. as a kid. I remember actually, and I've only sort of put this together, maybe it's too much of a leap. I remember as a kid having a recurring nightmare about us crossing the road. It was always a man driving a car towards us and knocking over my mom and killing my mom. Wow, that's really interesting. Really horrible. Like, it was so vivid and it was so recurring almost every night. And I think that subconsciously was a manifestation of what we were just talking about. Like, the idea that my mom couldn't protect... Somebody did something bad to my mom, she couldn't protect us. So, yes, I think to those things, like exposing a kid without proper context, without proper explanation, perhaps not even without purpose as well because mm. i think a lot of the reason why my mum would say these things to us or tell us these things was partly because it would account for her behavior mm. so she had a horrible temper and she herself at times was violent in the home as well and on the one hand understanding all of those things about her childhood offered a context and an explanation, not an excuse, but to say, all right, she's a bit fucked up. And yeah, why yeah. this is happening. As opposed to, you know, as a kid, I don't understand why this is happening. She must hate me. But on the other hand, it's a lot to sit with and mm. it's a lot to process as well. So I think if I had been in that situation, I wouldn't have kind of given those details. I think on the other sort of 
side of things. So unconventional families, gay mom, etc. Like, obviously, I'm going to say yes. But it's interesting because I remember at school, like, it was part of the juxtaposition, right? Sure. My mum sent us to exclusively Catholic schools, you know, because she's very religious in her own way. And I remember at school, some teachers did have an issue with the fact that my mum was gay. That was apparent. And including the, we had to do RE religious education, like, throughout our school life, including the RE teacher. And, you know, he would often, like, rabbit, you know, marriages between a man and a woman. It's a holy sort of, it's the kind of holy sanctity. There's quite, sorry, just before we go on, there yeah. is actually quite a nice irony there, though, because, like, yeah. a lot of people go to Catholic schools. Yeah. I mean, look, my mum's Catholic. I didn't go to Catholic school, but I know people that aren't Catholic who get raised Catholic, mm. in quotes, to go to Catholic schools. Mm. So it's kind of ironic that your mum, who's actually Catholic, yeah. is kind of getting the ire of the school for yeah. actually bringing you in for legitimate reasons. No, exactly. You know? Yeah, I mean, she's, just, the, the irony is, is that she, you know, she's... Like she actually believed it. Right? She's quite faith-driven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean. like, if the church needs anything, it's basically people who believe in the church. Yeah, that's exactly my point. Yeah, so it's... it's you fit the nail on the head. Yeah, I remember yeah. Him, him saying these things, you know, like, you know, we can't legalise gay marriage. It's not normal. Yeah, It's yeah. going to damage kids. And I, my sister less so, but I was just like, and this also, I think, informs a lot of my bolshiness or whatever. I was like, no, I didn't obviously say this class. I said, no, fuck you. That's wrong. I remember in class when I was a bit older, maybe I was 16, I was like, all right, you think that kids who were raised by single parent families, single moms, don't mm. have like the same chances in life? Well, I was raised by a single mom. Mm. And you think that kids who are raised by like gay parents are going to get bullied at school? Well, I'm being raised by a gay parent. Mm. So what are you going to do about be being bullied at school? And like just confronting him. Because of course, like as a kid, you're just like, well, hold on a second. You're telling me that the way I'm being raised is wrong. You're telling me that my family isn't a valid family. Mm. So being exposed to but those things, I think was... But that is really interesting great. though, because a lot of kids wouldn't do that. Yeah. Like they wouldn't. And I think a lot of kids would either take that situation and just assume that it was either right or, you know, there was like a kind yeah. of normalcy to it, or they would just shut down. Yeah. But I think it's... So I guess something is going back to your mum, like, because obviously, like, the tendency with this stuff is to kind of draw some of the negatives. Like, mm. you're kind of like, oh, you know, well, they were like this, and there was damage, and there was all yeah. this stuff. But one of the positives there surely is that bullshitness, right? Right. Like, the fact that you're like, no, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to, like, say something, A, and also, like, yeah. demand a better alternative. Yeah. Because that's essentially what she's asking for, isn't it, with a lot yeah. of the stuff that she's doing. So yeah. that's got to be a big thing in how you handled that. I think so. And I think it's a big thing of who I am. Yeah, today. exactly. Like the cladding stuff that we've talked about, it dawned upon me that, you know, we were fucked. I'm guessing <laughs> your flat. listeners know that you are the king of cladding. I hope, well, I'm the queen. No, I hope so. Queen cladding sounds but, better. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. For those that don't, cladding, so basically really crap material that's put on the outside of new build flats and is flammable is a big issue. It means you can't sell your flat. It means your flat's potentially dangerous, and that's my flat. When I found out about it, like, my heart sank, obviously, because I saved up hard to buy that flat. I didn't have any help from my parents, mm. obviously, because they can't afford. They couldn't afford to. And now it was worthless, and it was kind of like, you know, stopping me from progressing with my life. And my heart sank, and I remember for a day or two being like, oh, God, really? Like, yeah. this is just my luck. But then I think had I not had all the, the influences that you were just talking about, exactly. that bullshitness, I think I would have kept on wallowing. I don't mean sort of wallowing in a bad way, but I think I would have felt lost. Literally within two days, I was like, no, absolutely not. I'm working out what to do about this. And lo and behold, you know, we now have a campaign. And Yeah, yeah. Actually, maybe bullshit isn't the right word. I think like 
it's probably worth us going into this. I think it does yeah. actually come into like a lot of what you're describing as your mom's character. Yeah. But it's kind of like a combination of being comfortable with confrontation. Yeah. Which is one half of it. And I think the other half of it is having like quite a strong moral compass. Yeah. And I think the meeting of those two, mm. if it's productive, mm. it Bolshe doesn't quite fit. Bolshe feels more like you're kind of being like obtuse and a bit yeah. like reckless. Do you know what I mean? I Whereas, can be. Well, which I'm sure, yeah, we can all be, but like, but I think like there's a kind of, you're making that productive for one, and you're also making it positive and you're also challenging people that are not behaving in a moral way. Right? Yeah. So I think it's an odd thing. I don't know what the word would be for that kind of trifecta of things, but I think Bolshe doesn't really do it. Yeah. I think I would... And it's similar to what your mum's doing, right? Because yeah. she has got a point. Yeah. Like, she might have been confrontational about it, yeah. but she does want to be treated differently as a woman, as a yeah. gay person, yeah. you know, with all the other identifiers that you were talking about. So... I just think it's maybe doing a disservice to call her bullshit and you bullshit. Is what um, I mean. uh, thank you. No, it's um, fine. I just... Yeah, I think you're right. I would have described, <laughs> as a kid, I would have described my mum and perhaps myself as gobby, which is obviously a very kind of like Yorkshire thing. And certainly other people did describe her in that way. Right. Yeah. The funny thing is now I can look back on all of those instances where, as you say, that strong sense of kind of like moral compass plus mm. I'm going to speak out, I'm going to do something to change the situation or the options for us if no one's going to help me, I think has informed who I am and how I kind of react to situations as well. And my sister as well. My sister hates to admit that she's like my mum. And, you know, I think even now she would probably sort of say that all of those things that I've been talking about have informed the person she is. And ironically, my sister is vegan. She doesn't eat gluten, but whatever. Yeah. She is a little bit religious. She's definitely the sort of person that if someone crosses her or if someone doing something wrong, she will speak out as well. Mm. And as kids, we saw that as a really annoying quality, like really, really annoying. And like it's small and big things. So like small things, the car parked on the pavement scenario. So <laughs> if it was... What do you if mean? It was, if it was, so like there was a road we used to walk down to school and sometimes cars would park on the pavement. So we'd have to oh, okay, right, right into the road if it was like a bit sort of cold or icy or misty my mum would write with her finger stupid <laughs> driver on like the back window and sometimes the people were in the car and they'd be like what are you doing with my car and then my mum would have an argument with them sometimes if it wasn't she would spit on the car and then write it with her own spit which I think was quite so that was a small bolshiness a big bolshiness which actually I have to say in fairness that probably does fall more in the bolshy camp yeah but like <laughs> that's bolshy and gobby in a different and, yeah, way yeah well, well that's it in a different sort of like bolshiness but in a good way and i love that she used to do this so we never really went on holidays as kids but for some reason my mum not every year insisted that we'd go to like botlins or haven caravan parks yeah, yeah. in a caravan you know with my cousins whatever and they were always in like english seaside towns which sounded a little bit like sort of dead victorian diseases like skegness yeah yeah Scunthorpe it's like that kind of faded seaside glamour exactly thing, like, yeah. there's definitely no glamour let me tell you <laughs> but we would turn up and i later sort of realized as a kid as a sort of you know teenager that this was actually like an intentional routine but we would turn up and she wouldn't let us get out my dad drove so she wouldn't let us get out of my dad's car sure. until oh even unpacked until she'd gone around the caravan with several pieces of recycled paper and a pencil and noted down every single little thing that was wrong like there were the wrong number of knives and forks there was a crack in the vinyl on the kitchen there was this there was that she would then take 
this long list, pages, pages long, to the caravan site manager's park and sit in their office for however long it took until she persuaded them by force of argument to basically upgrade us to a much nicer caravan. Mm. So, like, I think in some instances the caravans were manky and really horrible and grotty and you wouldn't want your kids staying there. But like I said, it became a bit of a routine. Yeah, such yeah. that one time, there was only one time when she didn't come with us and we went with my aunt, her sister, and my cousins. I kind of took on that role. So I was like, no, everyone has to wait in the car. I went round and noted down everything and then everyone else came in and wanted to do the same because of like a game. And then we sort of all marched over to like the site manager's office and the sight of this sort of like you know, sort of skinny, precocious 14-year-old being like, and another thing, and then the <laughs> hob doesn't lie. And then, and so I think basically just to sort of avoid the kind of pain and embarrassment, they upgraded us to an eight-birth, five-star caravan. So, Very nice. Like, but that was like, that's an example story of, I think, a really good quality that she has. And I think that I have, and my sister has as well, in that, you know, if life hands you a bit of shit, or in a more practical sense, if something needs sorting, you do whatever you can to sort it. Yeah, yeah. Um, You do whatever you can to sort of improve your lot and your situation. And I think that's a really wonderful quality for people to have because a lot of people, including me at different points in my life, would have do lay back and kind of just go, mm. well, this is my lot. I have to kind of make do with it. Yeah, also it's about, it feels like it's about taking responsibility as well mm. because you're taking responsibility for something not just in yourself, but in your environment, right? And there's quite a lot to that. So, yeah, I completely think that's fair. I mean, like, I guess a couple of other things that come to mind would be, how would you... So, obviously, your mum will maybe hear this, maybe yeah. not, if she's... Yeah, okay. She's now listened to every episode. <laughs> oh, okay, fine, right. She started sending me voice notes for each one of our guests. <laughs> so, I'm going to get her to send you a voice note, Julian. Oh, amazing, great. <laughs> well, we'll have, to, we'll have to edit that in afterwards. Yeah. So, I feel like, what would you expect her reaction to be to this it'd be quite similar to her reaction to listening to the first episode that we put out with with Eamon so she sent me a voice note saying I've just listened to this and I laughed and I cried and I think she would laugh and cry at this because my mum and me have I think now a very close relationship, but it wasn't always that way. Mm. As you can probably kind of guess, there was a lot of, you know, friction in childhood, yeah, in your adulthood, a lot of issues for us both to deal with, a lot of her behavior towards me as a kid for me to process and ditter with her. And now I can sort of like retell those stories or kind of not quite relive, but talk about those memories and those experiences in an open way because I've had time to process them and deal with them. But it certainly wasn't that way. And I think even for her, even though we've both processed them, it's still hard for her to hear. I remember, I've talked with mum about this, when I was at uni, I think she sort of, it dawned upon her the things that she had done mm. as a parent or in her words, these are her words rather than mine, the ways I failed you as a parent. Now, for any parent to have that kind of foresight and acknowledgement, I think is a really powerful thing. But I think at the time, now it's different, it didn't manifest itself in a helpful way. So she would mm. call me out of the blue and be sort of like croaky voice and upset or agitated and say, do you remember when this happened? I'm so sorry. 
Do you remember when I threw a glass at the wall and it cut your face? I'm so sorry. Do you remember when I hit you for no reason and your lip bust open? I'm so sorry. Do you remember when mm. I called you a rapist? I'm so sorry. And in one respect, it is a responsible thing to do to take accountability for your actions, particularly as an adult mm. parent to your child. But it was horrible. It was horrible to be revisited with those things in that way. It was horrible to be reminded of stuff that perhaps intentionally I'd forgotten about, certainly in those moments. Yeah, of course. And at the time, it felt very much like it was benefiting her much more than it was benefiting me. I think I even felt like she was doing it selfishly because she wanted to get something off her chest without due regard for kind of how it impacted me. Yeah, because you could have been anywhere at that moment or... Exactly. But I mean, it's quite consistent with what we were saying about being, you know, not shying away from the confrontation, mm. kind of taking yeah. the initiative, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think but that's right. In hindsight, do you value that? I value it now, but for a different reason. I value it now because mm. there were probably good ways of dealing with the stuff. My mom dealing with the stuff. There were bad ways of dealing with the stuff. But the reality is that now she has dealt with the stuff. And because she's dealt with it and processed it, you know, she's found a way to kind of reconcile who she is with who she was, or to put it slightly differently, to become a different person almost. Yeah. And recognise all of the things that didn't go right and went wrong. I think her and I have a very different relationship. It's funny because with my current partner, yeah, we've talked about a lot of this stuff. Like he knows about a lot of the funny stuff, about a lot of the bad stuff and dark stuff as well. Mm. And he says it doesn't seem reconcilable with the woman that I know. Not that she's all, you know, lollipops and cherry pie. That's I think that's a quote from Chichi Bang. I was just going to... I, right? I was just thinking to myself, I was like, I've never heard that. I mean, lollipops I and cherry pie sound good. So I think that was sense. a child snatcher from Chichi Bang. Bang so that's, <laughs> anyway, so it's not that it's all like, you know, love and sprinkles. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or look, there's still, you know, her, her behaviour can be quite erratic. She's still very eccentric, etc. But at least to him, and I think to me as well, and a lot of people who are in my mum's life and who she knows and meets, Knowing all of those things and knowing who she is it just seemed like night and day. Two very different people. Oh, it's amazing. And my partner, like her, well, I won't go into too much detail, but like one of her family members has gone through like a long, you know, like addiction and it was all this stuff. And it, but when I met them, mm. you would have no idea. Mm. And it's one of those things where you just take them at face value, right? And that's the thing. I think this is something actually I wanted to talk to you about was not to put you on the spot, but I feel like maybe it's the kind of question that is good on the spot, mm. is that this podcast, I think, something that I really, and I was going to say this at the beginning when you like very kindly introduced me, but I think one of the really amazing things about this podcast, and I think there's something that's really going to resonate with people, it's like that classic thing of like, parents, they fuck you up, right? It's like the, whatever that book title is. Yeah, yeah, that one, time, yeah. yeah. But that kind of line is like the bedrock of this, right? And it's like everyone has parents, everyone has some issue with their parents, mm -hmm. right? And even if it's positive, like it's formative, it all there's a lot there to unpack. And I feel like it takes us the better part of our life to unpack it. And I think it takes them the better part of their life to unpack what the hell happened in that, in that period 100%. as well by the looks of things. And I think my point with this is that I find, in my opinion, that often what happens is it's the stuff that goes unsaid yeah. that's the stuff that is actually driving that yeah and i think what's really good about this podcast is that it's allowing people to reflect on their own situations it's using other people's examples to draw out conversations that maybe they should be having mm. and i think what i would put to you is what is it that's unsaid between you and your mum because now would be the time i should pay you for this therapy <laughs> 
Well, I'm putting you on a spot here, but I feel like maybe uh, it's the crux, you know? I think there is a lot unsaid still. I would say this part to my mum anyway, although I haven't yet. Like, I see a therapist. I think I see a therapist for positive reasons. Yeah, yeah. In the same way that you see a personal trainer to improve your physical health, why not have the same approach with your Absolutely, yeah. And one of the things that we talk about is kind of what you were saying. So, like, why haven't you talked with your mum about this? I'll give you an example. So I think everyone has anxiety. Everyone Mm -hmm. has, goes through bouts of depression, sort of poor mental health, for a better phrase. And, you know, that's definitely true of me. A lot of my anxieties, my rational anxieties around kind of loneliness and perhaps existential anxieties, I think are definitely a product of my childhood. Mm. And my mum knows that I, you know, used to take medication for it and I had gone through those episodes in my life. But I've never really, I've connected those two things because I think, you know, it's helpful to understand why I think about things in a certain way. But I've never told her in explicit terms, unfortunately, I think those things are a product of my childhood experience. We're on all the best podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, all of them. And we're even on the World Wide Web at mymummademe.com. Head over to mymummademe.com where you can get extra unheard voice notes sent to your email inbox from the woman herself, Teresa Sharman. That's my mum. And I think one of the reasons I've not sort of spoken with her about it is, coming back to what we were saying before, as a kid, certainly I did, and I think this is true of most kids, you want to look at your parents slash parents, regardless of how many there are and who they are, as someone who can provide you security and someone who can provide you care. Mm. And I don't feel like I had, and to some extent have that with either of my parents. That's not to say that they don't give it. It's to say that my perception is that I lack those things. Mm. I think part of that stems from, you know, growing up poor, they can't provide for you financially and even as an adult. Growing up with a parent, in this case, my mum, who my mum's registered disabled. She's not sort of... It's not immediately visible, but she's got a lot of kind of like health problems. Again, that sort of, you know, Mm. it it kind of impacts, in this case, my sense of her invincibility and the physical security she could provide. And also the fact that I had to provide her physical help and security as well. Mm. And all of those things I haven't connected and told my mom because I don't think she's ready for it. And she will listen to this. And, you know, mom, I, I love you. And you are a wonderful parent. And the things that I go through as an adult when it comes to anxiety, depression, low mood, I think are because I don't necessarily feel like I can rely on either of my parents, you know, in a way that a lot of other kind of kids, even adult kids would. Mm. And the caveat I would add to that is I think a big part of that is perception rather than reality. But at bar, I think that perception comes from those childhood experiences, if that makes sense, learned behaviour. I think what you're saying there is really powerful because, I mean, look, that situation about perception of life, Mm. like negative or positive, and like it being drawn from like your parents and all that stuff, obviously that's going to be the case, right? Because everyone's, and people will listen to this and really resonate with what you're saying. But I think the bit I really took away from that was about the and, not the but. Yeah. I think that's a massive change. And like, I'm, you know, I'd be a hypocrite to say that I'm good at this, right? But 
if you're able to have a conversation about and with your parents to say, I love you, and these are the things that yeah. have come out of it, yeah. rather than but, that's a very positive thing. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I'm taking away from this is that this whole endeavor, like the podcast, the guests, the chat, you know, all the stories that you've heard about people's, a, a lot of it is framed in that and not but. Yeah. And I think that's something that I hope your mum, when she listens to this, yeah. particularly because I don't know you, but I'm sure you're a very lovely person. <laughs> I hope you hear it or she hears it as an and, yeah. not a but. I think Because I think that's the takeaway from this. It's such a beautiful way of putting it, the way you've just articulated it. And it definitely is an and mm. in my case. I think my sister wouldn't mind me saying this. For my sister, sometimes it's a but. But I think that's part of the journey, right? Mm. Uh, and to your point, like, I think every kid, no matter how good or bad their childhood was or the relationship with their parents are, you often sort of go from seeing it as a but to an and, you know, I do love you, but these things exactly. uh, annoyed that's me, it. frustrated me, messed me up, to I do love you and I've come to terms with these things and in some respects they've, you know, made me resilient and strong in other respects, I still need to deal with them with you. Yeah, totally. So it's, it's very much an and. I think um, it's also just part of, I mean, not to get too deep on it, but I think it is part of one of those things where it's about how we look at relationships now because mm -hmm. they're not transactional. It's not like a, I love you, but, and then it's like, well, there's pros and cons and then I'm going to kind of like make it, it's, you know, like a good long relationship, particularly an unconditional one, has to have that duality to it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It has to have the positive and negative running simultaneously and it, that's what makes it committed. <laughs> and I think not to sort of therapize it too much. Mm. The things that I wanted from both my parents, but particularly my mom when I was younger, weren't necessarily delivered in the way that I wanted them to be. I'll give you an example in a second, but were there. Mm. And perhaps I just didn't see them or perhaps I just didn't recognize them in that way. So I'll give you an example. So, you know, when we were kind of kids, we didn't have two pennies dropped together. My mom, like when I said I was a welfare kid, I was a welfare kid because my mom was on welfare. She didn't work yeah, absolutely. my entire childhood until the point I went to university, you know, and that really impacted us. Like we sometimes couldn't afford to get the bus home. We'd have to walk. We'd have to put food back at the supermarket at the checkout because the bill was too high and stuff like that. So all of those things, you know, and as a kid, you're just like, fucking hell. You know, this is, you recognize it as shit. You go hungry, you obviously recognize it as shit. And, you know, I wanted my mom to provide for us financially in that respect. And I think anyone would, right? Yeah, of course. What's interesting is that not much has changed. Mom doesn't work. She's a state pensioner now. But she would literally do anything, anything to help me out financially if I ever needed it. Unfortunately, I don't. I don't know how she does this. In fact, I'm convinced that my mom is running some sort of like racket on the side. But every now and then she will put... Would it surprise you if she was? <laughs> <laughs> I sort of love it, and low-key love it in a kind of way. <laughs> every now and then she'll put like a thousand pounds in my bank account. And I'm like, mom, where did you get a thousand pounds from? You're on the state pension. And she's like, well, I've just saved it up. I'm like, what have you saved? This is like Brad, this is the beginning of Bradford's Breaking Bad, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's actually running a meth lab in the yeah, basement yeah, yeah, cellar yeah. where I grew up. Yeah, I mean, hey, I mean was, look, yeah. it works. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> Grand don't come for free. Now you've, now, you, skinner, yeah. now you've said that. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to like do a bit of investigation. But she would literally do anything and does. And I'm like, that's great. I don't need this money. You need this money. Yeah, she's like, no, yeah. no, no. You take it because, and there's always a reason. And I'm like, mom, you haven't been abroad 
for like a decade. You haven't mm. even, you've never really been on holiday. You want to go see friends that live in other states. You use the money. She would rather make, even now at the age of 69, those sacrifices. And it's almost unconsciously she does it. Yeah, like a reflex. In order that she can not just provide for me. I mean, I don't need to be provided for financially, thankfully. But there is still that kind of reflex, as you say. But to have moments where she can create that gifting, in this case financially, that we never had as kids. Mm. And I just think this it's so beautiful. And it's for all of the things that I've talked about that were difficult, challenging, wrong in my childhood, I think all of those motivations, all of the desire to care for, to provide, to love were there. They perhaps weren't there in the way that I wanted them or needed them at the time. And sometimes they were, you know, there in a messed up way, mm. but they were there. And as an adult, that as an adult, it just gives me so much sort of like a feeling of strength, if that makes sense, knowing that for all of my mom's, you know, faults and challenges, she can be that loving parent and care provider in her own way. And I think that's the journey, isn't it? That's the journey yeah, that massive. everyone goes on. We've spoken a lot about Teresa's life. We put it in context. I know we were saying that like a lot of the things that kind of hurt her identifiers, as you will, like, are kind of quite confrontational, or at least they're, they're opposed to things, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like against eating meat, against, you know, bad men, all that stuff. So I guess for me, I would just kind of want to maybe reframe it a little bit and hear mm. you talk about like the positives mm. in her and more of a positive state. So I think there's kind of two sides to this. First of all, talk about her positive qualities. Mm. I think that's the first good thing that we should do and not about anything that's happened, yeah. just like who she is and, and how it's positive. And the other thing, which I think is a nice thing to kind of like round up the discussion about your mum is, is like, can you give me maybe like the time when you thought was there a moment or like an image that sticks with you when she was like the happiest version of herself wow you know if i was to say to you when was the happiest your mum was yeah what comes to mind well let me answer that one first and then let's talk about all the many many positive qualities yeah i'm sure there's a lot but there, yeah, there's, there's a lot. lot and you know i obviously she's a very loving woman the happiest I'm going to tell you the time that she's happiest, but it does have a bit of a sad ending, which is why I'll tell you first before moving on to the really, really good, like, positive stuff. Okay. So the time I remember Mama being happiest was when she was with a woman called, well, it was a woman called TJ, who later changed her name to Cagney after James Cagney. I don't know why she loved him as an actor. Okay. But anyway, she was with TJ slash Cagney. And they had two parts of the relationship. One when we were like when I was about 11 or 12 and one when I was about sort of 13 or 14 or 15 and a kind of break in between. The second part, I think she was crazy happy mm. because, you know, she obviously pined after this woman, after the relationship that they had. I think my mom felt supported and secured and loved. and Always good. <laughs> yeah, all of those wonderful things that we all kind of want. And Cagney was like, my memory of her was like a really great, fun person. She doted on my mom. She paid her a lot of attention. She was great with me and my sister. She used to take me to the youth club up the road. And I remember one time she came home, Cagney this was, and she was like, do you know what? Let's buy a house. <laughs> 
We are on social media. How exciting. You can find us on Instagram at my mum made me pod. You'll get us on Facebook at my mum made me, Twitter at mum made me, and even TikTok at my mum made me. Why follow us on socials? Well, you're going to get extra bits from the show. You're going to be able to see our guests on video and of course, watch their reactions to my mum's lovely and sometimes a little bit weird voice notes. So give us a like and a follow.